Good morning, everyone. Morning. Wonderful to see everybody here this morning on this beautiful fall morning. As I was driving in this morning, I saw a, an amazing sunrise, and I just thought of, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. So let's stand together this morning as we worship the Lord.
with us at Nanceman River Baptist Church. If you're new or visiting with us for the first time, we'd invite you to fill out a connect card. Tells us just a little bit about who you are and how we can best minister to you here at the church. You can drop that off with a member of our connect team uh, at the connect desk in the lobby there, and they'd be happy to answer any questions you have. Uh, They have a gift for you there as a way of us just saying thank you for joining us in worship this morning. Well, as we continue in worship, we look to the book of Hebrews which says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is Raven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thanks depart. No tongue can bid me thanks depart. No Satan tempts me to despair. Tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied Oh 
before you as broken people in a broken world, Lord, and approach your throne, the throne of grace. God, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning as a gathered body to worship you, to sing praises to our King. God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, you may be seated. As you are, will you take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I know I met a couple of new families this morning who had elementary age kids who were going to go to our kids' worship 
If that is you, uh, now's the time. We don't always tell you when that time is. Most of our folks know, but our younger elementary kids stay in worship with us and um, have the option to leave. We're not, they're not certainly required to. They can stay with mom and dad uh, happily. As you find your place in the scriptures, I want to remind you next week is church at the park, meaning we will not be here. So if you show up here at 930, you're going to find a really empty parking lot and building. We are meeting at 1030. You get a little extra sleep next week, 1030. Uh, at Bennett's Creek Park. At the information desk, there's a map. If you don't know where Bennett's Creek Park is, uh, it's just past Creekside Elementary School uh, off Shoulders Hill Road. And so it's easy for you to find. It's just a few miles uh, from here. Uh, You need to bring with you a chair because you're going to want a place to sit. Uh, And if you want to stay afterwards and eat with us, the church is providing uh, fried chicken, and because we're Baptists, so that's what we're going to do. Church is providing fried chicken uh, and, and drinks, and we're asking people to do one of two things. Either bring food to share if you're comfortable doing that, and we're going to have a line just kind of at old-fashioned, let's eat together. If you still say, wait, I'm not really sure I'm comfortable going through a line like that, still stay and eat with us. Just bring your own picnic lunch and eat out there. You're free to do that, whichever of those uh, you, uh, you would like to do. We're going to have our worship service there at 1030. Together, I will be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 1, a very clear gospel evangelical message for our community. Bring your friends and family, your coworkers. There are invitation cards out still in the lobby, and there are even a few yard signs that are left. Uh, to invite your neighbors, and I can promise you this, they'll hear about the good news of Jesus next Sunday morning. If it rains, let's pray for a Sunday, let's pray for a day that looks just like today. If it does rain, we will be here at 1030. We will do everything that we would normally do, including the food and everything else. We will just bring it inside, uh, but Lord willing, we will have a lovely fall day to enjoy outside together next Sunday uh, for church at the park at 1030. I hope you plan to be there. I invite you now to stand with me. We will pick up where we left off in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and complete the book this morning. This is the word of the Lord. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning grateful for our opportunity and our time together to gather as 
the saints of God at Nansman River Baptist Church where we can do exactly what is written in this text. Admonish, encourage, hear from the word of God. Pray together, be thankful together. Lord God, would you have your way this morning? Let us bring glory to your name and exalt Jesus Christ as we explore your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. For many of you in the room, you've experienced the joy of parenthood. And if you've experienced the joy of parenthood, you've also at some point in that journey experienced the trepidation of leaving your first child for the first time. Whether it's a few days, likely more like weeks, or in some people's cases, months after their first child is born, it's time to go back to work, it's time to go have a date night, it's time to do something that's going to require a grandparent, someone to come in and watch the child. And when that time comes, moms, most likely, uh, experience some level of fear and trepidation and are going to make sure that whoever it is that's going to be watching this child is going to have every piece of information necessary to complete this part of the journey successfully. This, does not, this handoff of that child does not happen uh, quickly. There are often, and you've experienced this likely, instructions about feeding times and what to do in case of a dirty diaper and what to do in case of the baby cries and doesn't eat and eats too much and when to take a nap and when not to take a nap and what toys they like after a nap or before a bottle. There's all of these things that we think are just so important. Now, what we learn over the course of time is they're probably not. child's probably going to survive the day. If you'll remember, this is Paul's first letter, very likely the first epistle that the Apostle Paul writes to one of the New Testament churches. And as he gets to the end of this letter, there is a collection of instructions that as we read this morning, almost reads like a parent who is handing off their child to a babysitter for the very first time. I need you to remember to do this and this and this and this, and then it just seems to go on. This seemingly, at least on the surface, unconnected group of instructions. This section here, verses 12 through 28, are, are numerous shorter sections that are often actually taken out of context of the passage itself. You've likely heard someone say things like, don't quench the spirit, which is one of the verses here. You've heard someone say, you know, we should pray continuously, which is one of the verses here. And while those things are true, their truth is actually found in the context of the whole passage. This section, really outside of the last couple of verses, which is a benediction, is intended to be taken as a unit. The, the language of the text leads us to that conclusion that these are not independent thoughts. 
This is not just a, oh yeah, from the Apostle Paul. Here are the last few things that I didn't have room in the letter to write to you as it seems to read to us on the surface. But as we get into the actual language of the text, what we find is all of these instructions speak to one central idea. That idea is Paul's obvious concern for the spiritual health and longevity of the congregation. He desires that this fledgling church be healthy, that they know what it is they are supposed to do and to be about that mission together in a good way, in a way that is constructive for the church. And he recognizes that there are numerous challenges that they face. And while he has expressed his deep desire to return to Thessalonica and to be able to minister to them having been taken away too quickly, He has yet to be able to do so. And Paul writes now out of that concern for them, hoping that they will put these pieces together and recognize that his concern for their congregation is ultimately one that should carry them to the end, as we will see by the end of this passage. While these sections may seem disjointed, most of them follow a very clear formula that what Paul will do is provide instructions or admonishments and he will do so in in units of three, three sets of instructions or one instruction followed by three reasons to follow the instruction, often with a result of following the instruction after the triplet. So we'll take each of these and while they may seem as if if the, the subject matter is different from one to the next, because it certainly is, if we keep in mind Paul's concern for the congregation, for the assembled people of God, for the brothers and sisters in Christ that he is writing to there and recognize that it is the concern for that whole unit that he writes, this last section of 1 Thessalonians, we'll get to a place where we can see all of this is Directly connected. So first, concerning congregational leaders. Look at verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves Now, in the beginning of verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13, Paul provides instruction to respect and esteem those who are serving amongst this church as their leaders. Now, this is early in the ministry of Paul, and the words that he uses here to describe the work of these people helps us as we, can, as we take into account everything that the apostles write in the New Testament to recognize that these are, who Paul is describing here, is the elders of the church. And that the church here is instructed to respect those who labor among you, to respect the leaders, and in verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And Paul describes the work of the church leaders in verse 12. He does this in three ways. He says they labor among you, they are over you in the Lord, and they admonish you. Each of these are responsibilities that biblical elders, pastors, and if you're new here with us, we use the term elder and pastor at Nansman River interchangeably, believing that there is one office 
of the church, one office of spiritual leadership within the church, and it is the elder pastor. So anytime we see those words used in the New Testament, we're believing they're describing one group of people leading the church together. The most common word in the New Testament for this group is elder, which is why that's what I'm going to use most often. In our vernacular, the most common use of the word is pastor, even though that word only shows up as a noun one time in the entire New Testament to describe this group of people. So we most often use the term elder here, but elder pastor, this is the same thing. This is a group of people leading the church. This is why it's a plural pronoun. This is those among you, those who labor among you. This is more than one man that is leading spiritually in the congregation. And they do these three things. They labor among you. Now notice labor among you means that they don't do all of the work themselves. And they don't place all of the work on the congregation. Who does the work? The whole congregation, leaders and followers, elders and the assembly, do the work together. They labor among you together. Next, Paul says they are over you in the Lord. Now, we should not think that it is a bad thing that Paul establishes a leadership structure within the church where some have spiritual oversight of others. Ultimately, this is a good thing for the church, that the church recognizes the spiritual leadership of certain men within the congregation to be the under-shepherds of Christ amongst the assembly. In one of his later letters, Paul establishes a formula for how, the church, how churches are to go about selecting these people, and he provides some qualifications. One of those places is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we're not going to look at all of it, but I want to look at what's applicable here to this idea of being over one spiritually. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He begins that passage by saying, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This is the elder pastor office, that if anyone aspires to this office, it is a noble task of oversight that this person is aspiring to. Then he gives this qualification in verses four and five. He says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? So there's this There's this in-home qualification that Paul then uses to say, these men have to be men who know what it means to practice oversight. Because the church, just as a family, needs oversight, the church needs oversight as well, spiritual oversight. We need people who are from a position of biblical authority. I make no apologies for this, even though I recognize that I am preaching about myself and the group of men that I serve with as elders of our church. Listen, we need people. The church needs people who practice biblical authority in our lives. And in doing so, do the next thing that Paul says. He says that they are over you in the Lord and, in verse 12, admonish you. There are moments of admonishment that we all need. This is why a plurality of elders is so important. Do you know one of the things a plurality of elders like we have in our church uh, does? It means that there is people that are speaking admonishment into my life. That there are men in this church who have my direct permission, and I believe permission from Scripture, to tell me when I'm not necessarily doing the things that I need to do, as well as I need to do. And do you know what? You need that too. 
Now, people may not like to think about the church in that way. Maybe we want to think about the church as just this place that we go, and it's all cheerful and joyful, and we're going to see cheer and joy and all of that here in a moment. But there are times where we need correction. There are times when we need somebody to speak in our lives and say, hey, listen, what you're doing is not right. We call this church discipline. And and that is taken on such a negative context in our world, and it shouldn't. We should be joyful over the fact that there are people in our church, some who are paid, some who are not, who give themselves to this work. And part of that work is admonishing. And then he says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So there is both an instruction at the beginning of this and at the end of this to respect and to esteem. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul circles back to this idea of elders within the church And he says, let the elder who rules well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. An elder that does these things should be highly esteemed. To borrow the phrase from 1 Timothy 5, they should be be honored within the church. Now, listen, this isn't isn't me standing up here saying, y'all need to show me greater honor. You you as a church do a phenomenal job of this. I mean, you, you truly do. And if I weren't just preaching verse by verse through text of the scripture, it would be somewhat awkward for me to preach this sermon this morning. But it's not because of the way that we approach the scripture. We preach all the way through books of the Bible. When we get to things like this, we preach things like this. And here's what we recognize together, church. This is a good thing that God has established. And Paul even says so at the end of verse 13. Notice what he says. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, this is a great example of how somebody could take just one little line out of this, out of context, and make it mean something else. This is directly connected to verses 12 and the first part of 13. He has not moved on to another thought. He's going to move on to another thought in verse 14, and the language is going to show us that. So here's what Paul means when he says, be at peace among yourselves. He says, one, at least one of the contributing factors, maybe a primary primary contributing factor to peace within the church is that the church submit itself to a biblical form of leadership because a biblical form of church leadership leads to peace. We don't have to wonder who's leading. We are able to follow God-ordained men who have the best interest of the congregation at heart. Second, concerning congregational accountability. Now Paul changes subjects in verse 14. He says, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So we see here at the beginning of verse 14, a Uh, literary transition. Just as Paul had said in verse 12, we ask you brothers. Now he is transitioning to, we urge you brothers. We shouldn't think of we ask you and we urge you as being two different uh, levels of intensity. Both of these are instructions from the apostle Paul directly to the church. The first, we want you to respect and honor and esteem those who are serving in the biblical office of elder pastor within the congregation, because the result is this leads to peace within the congregation. The second is that you together, we together as the congregation are going to be accountable to one another. And this is the urging that Paul has for the brothers and sisters there at Thessalonica. And it's the word of God to us today. 
So he says, and again, in triplet, in three ways, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, and to help the weak. So accountability within the church requires three things. At least here in the text, there are three pieces of instruction. The first is to admonish the idle. Now, who are the idle? The idle are the lazy. Now, you may ask, well, what kind of laziness is being described here? This is certainly within the context of the mission of God. So the idle are those who are not participating in God's mission for the church. Now, we see God's mission for the church as clearly defined in Scripture. Different local congregations will say this in a different way. But if we're following the Scripture, what we should be speaking to is all the same thing. At our church, we say our mission is very clear, to make disciples that make disciples. That's the mission of the church. And everyone should be involved in the mission of God's church. This isn't a place you just come and sit for a little while every week. This is a place that you are actively engaged in what God is doing. And to be actively engaged in the mission of God, to make disciples that make disciples, means both you are submitting to the disciple-making process of the church and you are participating in the disciple-making process of the church, meaning you are both being made into a disciple and making disciples. That's what it means to not be idle within the congregation. And Paul says this, admonish the idle. Now, that's the same word that he used in the previous section that elders, pastors admonish, right? It's one of the things that elders, pastors do is that we correct the church. But now he's turning his attention to the whole congregation and saying, all of you, that when you experience someone within the local congregation who is idle, who is not participating in the mission of the church, that you should admonish them. Admonishment means correct. It means to gently in love point out that something is lacking in someone's life. So we're supposed to admonish the idle, bringing everyone into the mission of God for his congregation. The second is to encourage the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted? The faint-hearted are those who are, because of the oppression of persecution, beginning to doubt and to waver on what God has called them to do. We have to place this in the context of what's happening in the Thessalonican church. This church, from the very beginning, from its establishment, experienced persecution. So much persecution that they had to sneak Paul out of the city before he was ready to go in the middle of the night so that he could carry on with his missionary journey with those who were traveling with him. And then that church, this fledgling church, which is the term I've used to describe it uh, here in these 14 sermons through 1 Thessalonians, because that's really what it is. It's just this group of people that didn't quite get enough time with the guy who started it. And they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And one of the things they're trying to figure out is how do we live in the face of this persecution that's coming upon us? And some within the church have obviously grown faint-hearted. Some don't know if they can stand under the persecution. And here's what the congregation is supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage them. Speaking words of encouragement to one another. Listen, congregation, this is what we do for each other. When the person sitting next to you is ready to give up, 
where they just think maybe, what if, what if this isn't worth it? What if this is too hard? What if following Christ in my life and this process of sanctification and giving myself over to the mission of God, what if this is just too much of an ask? This is when we come alongside one another and say, brother and sister, you can do it. We're doing it together. We're encouraging one another to not be faint-hearted. Number three, help the weak. So the congregational, account, a congregational accountability means we come alongside of one another. Now, who are the weak? Most often when Paul describes the weak, he's talking about spiritual weakness. So the spiritually weak are likely those who are less mature in Christ than others. Maybe there are still parts of their lives that are given over to things of this world. Maybe they just don't know everything that they're supposed to know yet because they're new in the faith. Maybe they've not grown in their faith like they should have grown, but they are weak. And what are we supposed to do as the congregation? Are we supposed to look down on these people and say, man, if you would just get your life together, if you would just get your act together, then everything would work out. No, no, we're supposed to help them. Now, sometimes help includes admonishment. Sometimes help includes encouragement. Sometimes help literally means to help, to say, I'm going to link arms with you, brother or sister in Christ, and I am going to walk with you day by day through this because I want to help you. Then he gives this, instead of a result as he did in the previous passage and in the previous section and will in later sections, he kind of gives a blanket statement. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. This means we're supposed to be patient with the idle. We're supposed to be patient with the faint-hearted. We're supposed to be patient with the weak. And can I admit something to you? For myself and probably for others in this room, this is a difficult instruction. Because there are times that I want to push you as a congregation, that I want to push us faster maybe than we're ready to run. And, I'll, and there are times that I've done that and I've had to look, look around and go, well, maybe, we're, maybe we're pushing a little bit. Maybe we're pushing a little bit too hard. And what my flesh wants to do is to rear up and say, well, these people just get it together. And if we, if we, could, just, if we could just all be on board with this, man, look, look at what we could accomplish. And then I read the instructions of Paul, be patient with them all. So whether it is someone that is needing admonishment, encouragement, or help in their weakness, our instruction is to be patient. Listen, the disciple-making process, the mission of God for his church is one that demands patience of all of us. I need you to be patient with me because I'm still growing and learning, not only in my own walk with Christ, but in what it means to be a lead pastor of this church. You say, we've been doing it for almost six and a half years now. Yeah, you're right. I'm not perfect. I could look at you and say, well, you've been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years. You're not perfect at it. I need to be patient with you. We need to be a congregation that's marked by patience for one another because there are going to be times in our lives where we're given over to idleness or faint-heartedness or weakness and we need one another to say, I'm with you in this. I'm gonna practice patience with you. Be patient with one another. 
Then he continues into verse 15, still in this idea of congregational accountability. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, again, this is presented to us in triplet. First, we need to see that no one seeks retribution. That's what it means that no one repays evil for evil. That part of congregational accountability is that we're watching what happens when bad things, sinful things from sinful people happen to us. It's not to go out on a limb here to say every person in this room has been sinned against at some point. Somebody in the world, somebody still walking in darkness has directly sinned against you. They've taken advantage of you. They've lied to you. They've abused you. They've done something to you that is sinful. Unfortunately, there are even times within the congregation, because Paul doesn't give, he actually gives both and here, that maybe this is something that happens inside or outside the congregation. Look, we can't do anything about the fact that sinful people are going to sin against God's children. And that's going to happen in our lives. Occasionally, it happens even within the church. And in both cases, we follow this instruction. Hold one another accountable that when evil comes into our lives, here's what we don't do. We don't seek retribution. We don't seek to repay evil for evil. Now, place this in the context of the mission of God's church and accountability. So we're seeking to make disciples that make disciples together. This is what we do. One of the big places this happens in the life of our church is a small group, which is why we want everybody in our church to be a part of a small group, either on campus on Sunday mornings or off campus throughout the weeks. We want you to be committed to a small group of people. And in those small group of people, people feel more free, more freedom to share what's happening in their lives. And sometimes what's happening in their lives is a direct result of external evil, like somebody is doing something evil to them. And we we run the risk sometimes of, instead of following the instructions of Paul, end up switching all of our worldly switches back on and actually helping someone be somebody that repays evil for evil instead of following the instructions of Scripture. So here's what we need to do. When those times come up in our our small groups, those things kind of come up in discussion, we need to help one another see how it is that God overcomes evil and that it is not our responsibility to seek retribution, but that then follow his next instruction, but to always seek to do good. So our goal should never be to respond to evil with evil, but our goal should always be to respond to every situation with good. Now, what determines what is good? God determines what is good. He's the one that tells us what is good and what isn't. Our response is to just do good, to do what God has said to do, and to do it to one another and to everyone. So whether evil comes from outside or within, and we should lament and correct and admonish any moment that evil shows up within the congregation. But whether evil is from external or internal, our response should be the same, that we should hold one another accountable to doing good to everyone inside the church and outside. Number three, concerning congregational gatherings. Verses 16 through 18 reads, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here again, Paul speaks in triplet and then gives us a reason for embracing these three things. The three things that Paul, that Paul invites us to embrace corporately because he is still addressing brothers and sisters here. This is still a corporate instruction that together our gathering should be filled with rejoicing. Together, our gathering should be filled with prayer. And together, our gathering should be filled with thanksgiving. That we should be a church that when we are together is marked by these three things. Now, these aren't the only three things that the church is supposed to do. But if somebody were to walk into our church, they should see us as a church that is happy to be here. This is what it means to rejoice, right? That, that regardless of what's going on in life, regardless of the circumstances surrounding us, we should rejoice when we come together because the body of Christ is together. Man, I cannot tell you how much I took that for granted until we experienced a period of time last year where we weren't able to be together. When I was preaching to empty pews and a camera in the back. And then as we slowly started having you come back, it was, it was such a blessing to me as a pastor over the course of months because it took months for most of you to come back into the life of our congregation. And I, and I could see as you were walking in for the first time just this overwhelming joy to be here and not to be in this room because there's nothing special about this room, not to be on this property because there's nothing special about this property, but to be with God's people, that we rejoice always, that there is overwhelming joy in the congregation when we gather. Number two, that we're to pray without ceasing. You say, wait a second, if I'm supposed to pray without ceasing, how am I ever supposed to get anything else done? How am I supposed to teach the word of God? How am I supposed to encourage and admonish? How am I supposed to go to work? Like, how am I supposed to do any of this? Well, again, he's speaking corporately to the church. And when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not saying don't do any of the other things, but let everything you do be marked by prayer. This is why we pray multiple times in our service. It's why we conclude our services with one of our elders coming and praying corporately for us together. It's why we encourage all of our small groups to pray for one another and to pray for the ministries of God in our church. It's why when important times come up in our church, we call us like we have for the last 14 days to pray for our uh, pastor search for our pastor for adult discipleship and outreach. It's why we publish a bi-monthly prayer guide for us to pray corporately for the ministries of our church in detail what's going on over the next eight weeks because we should be a congregation that prays without ceasing. Finally, giving thanks in all circumstances. Gathering should be filled with thanksgiving. Now remember, Paul's writing to a church that from day one has been under persecution. So, if he can write to a congregation that from day one has been without, been through persecution and say, in all things, give thanks, shouldn't we, no matter what's going on in our world and how depressed you are with what's been happening over the last 18 months and how bad things have gotten and all these things I see people take to Facebook to lament over, can't we just follow the instructions of Paul here congregationally and say, Let's give thanks, no matter what. If everything around us falls apart, would we still gather in this place and say, thank you, 
Jesus. Because we should be people marked by thanksgiving. And this is why. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God wants for us. We can say definitively that God's will is that we be people who are joyful, thankful, and filled with prayer at all times. The third instruction, or the second instruction for congregational gatherings is how we operate within the congregation according to our giftedness. Paul's going to speak specifically about one spiritual gift, but we need to see this as corporate instruction relating to the gifts of the Spirit for the church. He writes, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from evil, uh, from every form of evil. So again, this is in triplet with a, uh, with, with a, encompassing idea at the very end. The first, do not quench the spirit. Now, here's in context of the passage, here's what it means to quench the spirit. Don't stop someone from exercising their spiritual gift. Now, I don't I have like five minutes to talk about this one section. And, and so I obviously don't have nearly the time I would need to go fully into spiritual gifts. But last spring, I taught on spiritual gifts on Wednesday nights. If you go to our uh, website, nanswellriver.com, and go to Reaching In, there's a, an equip podcast you can listen. I taught for four weeks, an hour at a time. So I taught four hours on spiritual gifts. It'll answer most of the questions that you have about them. But ultimately, here's what we recognize. That everybody that God places within the church, he also gifts within the church to help the church accomplish its mission. That that's what spiritual gifts are. And so we need to be careful that we're not stopping someone from exercising their spiritual gift. Because here in the context, that's what it means to quench the spirit. Now there was obviously an issue of the church being receptive of what Paul calls prophecy. Now, prophecy is, this is the definition I gave back in the spring, the God-given ability to tell something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Now, we don't, have to, we don't have to be mystic about this. Prophecy doesn't mean telling the future, right? That is a worldly understanding of a biblical spiritual gift. The biblical spiritual gift of prophecy, particularly now that the canon of God is closed, that the Bible is sealed and done, and we're not adding anything to it, is basically following the Holy Spirit's guidance to speak the word of God into somebody's life at the right time. That this is what we're supposed to do. And God has, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Meaning the reason that the Holy Spirit has come into every one of our lives and gifted us as his church is so that we can accomplish the mission of God together. When Paul further clarifies this and further clarifies spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he returns to this idea over and over again. Look at some of these verses with me quickly. Now in verse 5 he says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So what's the goal? Building up the church. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So what's the point? Building up the church. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all this be done for building up. What's the point? Build up the church. This is what we do. 
we build up the church. So we do not despise prophecy. If someone's speaking something from the word of God, he gives us the answer in verse 21, but test everything, holding fast to what is good. So what do we do? Somebody says, hey man, I think God is saying, okay, let's go and look and see. (laughs) Is that really something God has said? Or did I just eat bad tacos last night? I would hope everything that I say, and I'm, you hear me more than you hear anybody else in this church, nearly every Sunday, 45 Sundays a year, I stand up here for about 45 minutes and talk to you from God's word. And here's what I hope you're doing. I hope you're testing what I say according to scripture, because that's the instruction. Yes, I am operating within my spiritual gift that the Lord has given me, but your responsibility is to test it, holding fast to what is good. And then this encompassing passage, abstain from every form of evil. Because there are evil, there is evil that has crept into the church in the name of spiritual gifts. People doing things that aren't in accord with God's word. The church at Corinth was a great example. The church at Corinth had allowed great evil to come into their church and Paul was having to write to correct it. There was animosity within the church. There was jealousy within the church. There were people not waiting for one another within the church. There were people that were uh, wanting some spiritual gifts over others. There were people practicing their spiritual gifts in ways that were clearly not biblical. And all of this, Paul corrects because it was evil. So we don't want to quench the spirit, but we also don't want to embrace a form of evil. We run everything through scripture and we reject anything that is not from God, keeping it out of the gathering. Number four, concerning congregational assurance. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Again, here, three instructions. Number one, or three uh, encouragements in, uh, in doctrinal truth. Number one, God will sanctify you, right? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely that he's, he's speaking to this church, this fledgling church who's still trying to figure out everything out and say, don't worry, the end is already written. God will already do it. God, may God of peace himself, the work of God, sanctify you completely. So while you may not figure, feel like you have everything figured out and you still have a bunch of questions and you're not sure if you're gonna make it to the end, know this, God is the one at work within you. He is the one that will do it. Second, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will endure, he says to this church, because God is the one doing it. If it were up to you, you may not, but God is the one giving you the endurance. God is the one that has placed you in his church to make you into a disciple, to engage you in the mission. And because God is the one that is doing it, the outcome is sure. Why? Because he who calls you is faithful. Again, if it were you doing it, you would fail, but it's God doing it and God never fails. And then he reiterates it like this, he will surely do it. This may be the most important thing one or two of you here and here today. <laughs> because you may look at your life and just think, I am a train wreck. And maybe you, you, you look at God and you think, God must see me as a train wreck. This church must see me as a train. I'm that person that needs all the patience in the world because my spiritual life is just a mess. Listen, if you think that about yourself and you look in your life and you say, but I have professed faith in Jesus and I am surely in him, know this. 
What Paul says here to this church is true about you. What he says in Philippians chapter 1, 6 is true about you. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fear. Don't fret. Don't look down. on Don't walk around with your head held down going, man, I just wish I knew as much about the Bible as these other people. And I wish I could do all the other things these people could do. And I wish I had the gifts these people have. And I wish I could share my faith like these people have. If they just knew what's going on. I'm just a train wreck, Lord. Hear me. If you're in Christ, God is at work in you. And that work that God is doing in you, he will finish. He will surely do it. Live with the assurance that God is at work in your life. Friend, live in that assurance. There is far greater joy in the assurance that God will accomplish something in my life than me having to think I've got to try to do it on my own. Then he leaves them with a congregational benediction. He says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. He misses them. He loves them. COVID didn't exist. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. He says, make sure everybody hears this. This isn't just for the leaders. This isn't just for the elders. This isn't just for one little group. It's for everybody. I put you under oath that everybody's gonna hear this. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So what? Our enduring commitment to one another proclaims our commitment to Christ. While these subjects certainly, have, uh, certainly are varied from one another, ultimately they all speak to Paul's concern for this fledgling congregation and calls them to be committed to one another, to be committed to, a, to be a functional congregation led by faithful elders filled with members who are accountable to one another, who are enduring to the end together in a testimony to the work of Christ in our lives. Listen, church, we are all different. We are different people from different generations, from different socioeconomic places on the you know, American dream ladder, if there is even such a thing. We've all come from different backgrounds and, and, and God has placed us together, just as he's done this church, placed us together. Why? So that when we function together in a biblical sense, when we do the mission of God together, it will stand out as unique, as a work that only God could accomplish. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. Yes, we are a diverse multi-generational congregation, which is one of our values, but the love of Christ is what has brought us together. And this is something amazing. And this becomes a testimony to a, to, a, to a watching world. The love that we have for one another, as different as we may be, becomes a testimony to the world outside of us, that as we love one another, the world knows that we are disciples of Jesus. This is why it's important for us to be a unified congregation. And I thank the Lord all the time for a unified congregation. If there is anything that has shown the fissures in congregations uh, in recent American history, it's been the last 18 months. 
lament what's happened at so many churches around not only America but around our world as churches that seem to be unified quickly began to fight over things like social distancing and online church and masks and vaccines. I had someone ask me about that a couple of weeks ago, and I, I was very clear. I said this. I said, we are a church that does not fight over those things. We will not. Why? Because that is not the mission. That is not what has unified us. What has unified us is the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing a diverse group of people together so that we can be on mission together, biblically faithful, committed to one another, working together to the mission of God, recognizing that it is he who is at work within us and he is the one who will be faithful to complete it. Let's be that church. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this incredible picture. One that doesn't paint a perfect image for us but the image of a fledgling church that's still asking many questions and still struggling in many ways, and yet you call them to biblical faithfulness, to unity within the body, recognizing that the end is written and secure because God is at work. Let that be said of our church as we continue to strive towards your mission in unity of the gospel together, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Just a quick appeal, my friend. If you're here and you say, I've never been a part of a church like that. Maybe church has just always been something you've done for a little bit. And makes you feel good about yourself. You say, I, I want to be a part of something that God is doing. I, I want to be a part of a church that's on mission, that, that's living biblically. The first question you have to ask is, are you actually in Christ? Because to be in the church means to be in Christ if you're not in Christ, you can put your faith in him today, trusting that he died in your place so that you might be saved. If you do that now, come find me in the lobby afterwards and I'll share with you how you can walk with Christ and how you can become a part of our church. For others of you, maybe you've been seeking for a healthy, unified church for a long time. Can I tell you something? I'm not just saying this because I pastor this place. I'm saying this because I believe it. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it were true. You found it. This is a biblically faithful, gospel-unified multi-generational, diverse body of believers. Come and be a part of us. After we sing, I'll share with you more about how you can do that. But together we respond as the congregation of God, joyfully with hope that God will accomplish his work. Let's stand together.
glory to God. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your presence this morning. Thank you for being with us, giving us your word, the encouragement that comes with it. Father, we just thank you and praise you for bringing us together to be on mission for you, oh Lord. My prayer is for one that might be here this morning, Father, that has yet to know that true peace and encouragement and faith. Would you bring that one to you this morning, Father, that he might confess Jesus as Lord? Father, we pray for our uh, advisory panel searching for our new pastor of adult discipleship and outreach as they work and deliberate these next weeks. Father, we pray for the man that we believe you will have come and lead us. We thank you for the time of prayer we've had these last two weeks, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come together this morning. May we leave encouraged, admonished, to be on your mission that you've given us in this place. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. Well, church, it's been a wonderful morning to gather together and worship and study God's word. I hope you'll continue that if you didn't do so in the earlier hour by going to small group today. Our Connect team can help you get uh, connected with a small group. It really is important that everybody in our church have a small group of people that they're doing ministry and making disciples with together. A couple of things I need to tell you uh, before we leave today. First, uh, I want to first call you to prayer and then tell you how, how you may be able to help us with this. Sharon Eshelman, who has been our, um, uh, been our custodial care director for about the last year and a half or so, hurt her back a couple of weeks ago to the point that she's not able to come to work. That's probably going to last for a little while. She has every intention of coming back uh, as soon as the doctors can get this uh, all squared away. But she hurt her back the same week that our new um, uh, maintenance director, facility and maintenance director, Nathaniel Winslow, started his job. So he's trying to figure out his responsibilities and our custodial care directors out. So first, pray for Sharon. Number two, if you may be interested in helping for a couple of weeks, three weeks, whatever this is going to be, um, we could pay you to do that. It's probably going to be somewhere in the you know, 10 to 20 hour a week type range, but we just need some, somebody to kind of step in in an interim period and do some of the custodial work uh, while we wait to get Sharon back. If, if you're interested in doing that, why don't you just come find me uh, and I can kind of give you some details uh, about what that would look like. In a few weekends, we have our parenting conference coming up. There are invitation cards uh, out in the lobby. There are also invitation cards for Church of the Park out in the lobby. The Church of the Park ones do us no good after today. So take those with you and invite your friends to uh, our worship service outside next week. But the Honor Parenting Conference is coming up on November the 6th. That's a Saturday morning. This is for parents and grandparents of children aged 2 to 18. Now, you do not have to sign up for the conference, but we do need you to register your children. There's a children's track for this thing. 
thing for preschool and elementary school kids. We do need to know if they are coming. So uh, anybody that wants to register their kids for that, your friends, your family, whoever, can do so. Uh, but we want you to invite people to the parent conference. And most importantly, we want you to be here uh, that Saturday morning. It's going to be a great time as we talk about instilling honor within our households. And if you don't fit into that category, if you're not a parent or grandparent of children age 2 to 18, then we need your help. We need your help in the preschool and children's area. Even if you don't normally work in those areas, we need your help at that time on that Saturday so that we don't have to have parents and grandparents over there when they should be in here. There's information in your connector about how you can sign up for that uh, to volunteer to help with that. And finally, I said, if you're looking for a unified church, unified by the gospel, is on mission for God, I believe you found it. Let me give you the next step. Go to Connect class with us. If today's your first day or you've been here for months, you say, I've never taken that step, uh, we'll have two of our non-vocational elders uh, teaching down this back hallway on the right about how we're structured as a church, the importance of small groups, how we do ministry and missions together. You can take Connect class in any order. So even though this is Connect class two, you could take this one and then do Connect class one next month. But we would love to see you in there at 11. If you have kids in the preschool or children's area, they will be well taken care of uh, in our preschool and kids uh, small group time. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, if I've never met you before, if, if you're new here, I'll be with our Connect team out in the lobby, the Connect desk. Stop by. I'd love to get to meet you this morning. Thank you for being here. God bless you.